Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course Podcast from the University of Minnesota. This episode is adapted from a webinar that aired on October 31st, 2018. The podcast discusses employee engagement in the context of the University of Minnesota. For more information and resources, visit supervising.umn.edu and explore Module 5 on Employee Engagement. So we'll go ahead and get started with today's presentation, and I want to welcome you to the Supervisory Development Course Employee Engagement in Action webinar. I'm Amanda Wolford, and I'm joined by Brandon Sullivan and Chelsea Dunkel, and we're all from Leadership and Talent Development. We're going to take turns presenting ways to take your engagement action planning to the next level and the resources available to help you do it. We also have a real-life example of one department and how they took action on their data and what happened as a result. So I'm actually gonna turn it over to Brandon who will officially kick us off with our presentation. Great, thanks Amanda. So we're all facing increasing pressure to get things done these days. And the to-do list for supervisors is growing fast. Being a supervisor means you are expected to coach and develop others, evaluate performance, give ongoing feedback, figure out how to retain talented people keep others in the loop on decisions, plans, and projects, create an inclusive workplace, and a lot more. Now, these are all important pieces of being an effective supervisor, but the list can feel really overwhelming. What's the most important? What can I set aside for now? Where do I focus my attention? Employee engagement is designed to provide a powerful set of tools that can actually help you answer these questions and get things done. Five years ago, recognizing the growing expectations placed on supervisors and the need to more fully engage faculty and staff in common goals, the university refocused our employee survey on employee engagement. Of course, as we all know, a survey is only helpful if action is taken to make improvements. So in addition to measuring engagement, the university also put in place a cycle of input, discussion, and action. Input involves gathering feedback from faculty and staff on what is going well and what could be better. Once you've gathered input, discussion involves answering questions like, which issues are the most important to address given our goals and priorities? Which issues will get in our way if we don't address them? Which issues are not a high priority, even if they could use improvement? And once input has been gathered and discussed, Action involves creating and implementing a plan to address the issues that are most critical to advance your unit's goals and priorities. And taking action requires answering questions like, what specific concrete steps are we going to take to improve? Who will do the work? What resources will be needed? And how will we know if we're successful? As colleges, campuses, and units have been working on engagement over the past five years, we've seen three major trends across the system. First, faculty and staff are highly motivated and committed to having a positive impact through our work. Second, when action is taken to address issues that come up in the engagement survey, things improve, and sometimes quite dramatically. Third, there are still a lot of faculty and staff who are frustrated with their work environment. There are a few common sources of frustration, which I'll talk about in a moment. Removing these sources of frustration is one of the most effective ways of increasing engagement and productivity and creating a place where talented faculty and staff want to work. Taking action to improve engagement doesn't require a survey report. And some of you listening to this webinar got a report from the 2017 survey and others didn't. 
if you didn't get a report, or if you want to know how things are going today, a year after the last survey, you can assess engagement simply by having conversations with the people in your team or department. We have some discussion guides to help you ask specific questions, have a focused and productive discussion. You can also look at themes that showed up in the 2017 engagement survey report for your college campus or unit. Once you've identified the issues that need attention, we have a number of tools to help you take action. We'll talk about those a little bit later in the webinar. So why is it so important to focus on removing sources of frustration? Well, frustrated faculty and staff are those with a high level of commitment and dedication, but there's something in their work environment that's missing or getting in the way. These are often some of the most talented and hardworking people. And when someone is frustrated, they tend to do one of three things. First, they may find innovative ways around their barriers and become engaged. For example, if a supervisor constantly says no to new ideas, some people may adopt the philosophy, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. In other words, some people may address their frustration by simply doing what they want without asking first. This might not be what you want as a supervisor, but it is one way that highly motivated people deal with frustration. Second, uh, frustrated people may get tired of being frustrated and look for opportunities elsewhere, places where they won't have to deal with the same frustrations. Third, they may lower their expectations and become disengaged. For example, if work constantly gets bogged down in endless discussions and unproductive meetings, enthusiasm for the work will fade, people will put less energy into their work, and they'll focus on how to avoid being hassled rather than how to achieve goals and get the work done. Now, maybe you're one of those that falls into the frustrated category, or maybe you have direct reports and colleagues who do. Data from the last engagement survey show that about one in every five faculty and staff at the university are frustrated. So this is a big deal, and it's important to address frustrations, which moves people back into an engaged state. Through four employee engagement surveys, university faculty and staff consistently say that the three most common sources of frustration are a lack of strategy and goals to address important challenges and opportunities, an inequitable distribution of workload, and not receiving coaching for mentoring or development. When these three pieces are in place, university faculty and staff are likely to be engaged. But when one of these pieces are missing, or if they're all missing, this causes a lot of frustration. I should also mention that another source of frustration that often comes up in the survey is a lack of support for well-being. This is an important issue that affects physical and emotional health, as well as productivity. In our June webinar from this past summer, uh, Building Resilient Teams, we talked about some of the ways that supervisors can support the resilience and well-being of their teams and departments. Supervisors often feel hesitant to take action, maybe out of concern that they won't have all the answers or that taking action won't be easy and they might fail. These feelings are natural and common. Well, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is when you take the first steps toward action, things can feel like they're getting worse before they get better. This happens because people have different ideas, opinions, and feelings about how to fix the issues causing frustration, and it takes time to work through these differences and find workable solutions. If you think about it, this makes sense. If there were easy, quick solutions, you would have already found them. The good news is that this is a natural part of the process, and if you stick with it, you will see positive results. In some cases, it may take 12 or 18 months, but at the end, you will find that you've removed some big sources of frustration and your team or department is much better off. We'll walk you through an example of this in a few minutes. 
And now Amanda's gonna take you through a scenario to illustrate this process. Thanks, Brandon. So in the employee engagement cycle that Brandon just talked about, input involves gathering perspectives on things that are going well and what could be better. So you can also think of input as simply receiving feedback. And in being a successful supervisor, asking for and acting on feedback is one of the most effective things that you can do. There's no shortcut, so it's important for your department to feel heard and to see that their input is having an impact. It's also a very big key component of employee engagement. So to illustrate the engagement cycle further, we'd like to present a true story that happened recently here at the university. Names and particulars have been changed. So whether you have an engagement report or not, as you listen, please think about the decisions our main character, Anders, is faced with and how you might handle a similar situation. So we're gonna go back in time to 2014 when Anders had only been a department head for one year and he was excited to receive his engagement survey data because it represented his first piece of job-related feedback. Being a relatively new leader, he was still getting acclimated to his role. So his excitement was also laced with some anxiety as he wondered about what the people in the department really thought about him and his leadership. So let's listen to Anders, who is played by Brandon, and his thought process as he reviews his report. All right, this report might be helpful. I'm still not really sure what the issues are in this department, so hopefully this will shed some light on things. Let's see. Looks like people are feeling pretty good about the department. Wait, what's this? Only 50% favorable on confidence in leaders? Are they thinking about me? They can't be. 33% unfavorable, I just got here. I wanna know who those people are. They don't even know me yet. On second thought, I'm not sure this data really means anything. I wouldn't have worded this item that way. It's confusing. And I bet only the grumpy people responded. You know, I need to get this data broken down by area so I can see who's complaining about me. This is a normal and natural first reaction to receiving feedback that isn't glowing and positive, especially for supervisors who are new to getting this type of feedback. However, leaders who see the feedback as an opportunity to make things better can move beyond this reaction. So now that Anders has had a little more time to process the data, let's listen in again on his thought process. All right, well, you know, I guess it looks like there are some important themes in this report. A few of these issues are surprising, and I really don't know what people were thinking of when they filled out the survey. I wish the data were clearer. Well, there is some useful information here. I guess the best thing to do is talk about this feedback with the department, see if we can figure out exactly what the issues are. This report raises more questions than answers, but it's a really good starting point. So do any of Anders' thoughts and reactions sound familiar? We wanna hear from you. What do you do when you get your survey results or just feedback in general? So we have a poll question for you to answer. How do you react to feedback? You'll want to select all that apply and be honest. So the options are, when you receive feedback, how do you react to it? Do you A, ignore it, B, procrastinate doing anything about it, C, ask questions to understand more about the feedback, D, jump to conclusions and want to fix everything, E, celebrate what's going well, focusing on those strengths, or F, other, and if you choose other, please share your thoughts in the chat. And I'm taking a look at the chat. 
Ooh, let it sit for several days and not jump to conclusions. That's wonderful. Anders did that in his scenario too. Depends on the feedback. Sometimes it seems manageable and some, sometimes it feels overwhelming. So again, just taking that time to think about, think about it a little bit more. So now you should all see the results. And the majority of people did say, well, I'm going to ask some questions to understand more about that feedback. So we're very happy to see that. See that you're not ignoring or procrastinating too long about doing anything about it. But it is human nature. It is a natural reaction to do that. All right. Well, thanks for participating in the poll. We have a couple more left. And we know that it's not always easy to receive feedback about engagement or even feedback in general. So whether you're a new or experienced supervisor, what you want to remember is that the survey data is a reflection of a data point in time, not of you personally. And by no means is it a perfect measurement tool, but at the same time, it's important to be able to take next steps in a constructive and objective manner to best support your department or unit. So even though Anders experienced anxiety about how to move forward with the results, he still decided to share them with his department since not sharing them would send the message that he hadn't read or didn't want to address the feedback. He was also careful not to tackle too many things at once. So he would not overwhelm faculty and staff while he sought out their input about how to address some of the items on the survey. So when he did email the report, he wanted to first celebrate strengths. So he highlighted the areas where there were high levels of commitment and dedication, particularly on the item, I feel proud to work for the University of Minnesota, and two low scoring areas of apparent frustration that indicate the work environment is ineffective. Those items being my department has a strategy and goals that address our most important challenges and opportunities and my department offers effective mentoring and coaching to support my development. It's not surprising to see that these items scored low in favorability as they are some of the most common sources of frustration that we saw on a slide that Brandon talked about earlier. And since Anders wanted staff and faculty input, he created an action plan to address those two areas of frustration. His first step was to conduct one-on-one -on -one meetings with each member of the department to discuss their ongoing development needs and their vision for the future of the department. By doing so, Anders could assess how to best support the ongoing development of the department, faculty, and staff to address that engagement item. My department offers effective mentoring and coaching to support my development. Anders also wanted to learn more about why people were so unhappy in regards to the item. My department has a strategy and goals that address our most important challenges and opportunities. So to generate conversation, Anders asked questions he saw on the employee engagement drivers and discussion questions quick guide, which is located in the supervisory development course. Many of you indicated that you've already been having discussions with your teams and colleagues on that four question survey which is great. But if you're not familiar with the quick guide, it's a useful way to take your action planning to the next level by having meaningful conversations and discussions about engagement. Let's actually listen in now on a conversation that Anders is having with one of his faculty members who is played by Chelsea. Hey Chelsea, I looked through our department's employee engagement survey results. I wanted to get your thoughts on something. I bet that's an interesting report. What does it say? 
I'm wondering about the item, my department has a strategy and goals that address our most important challenges and opportunities. Half of the faculty in our department don't agree with that. 50% were neutral or unfavorable. How do you view our department as a leader among our peers? In what way do you think we're in the forefront and how are we lagging behind? That's a great question. I really think that our graduate programs are falling behind our peers. We're not attracting graduate students like we should be, and our faculty pool has been pretty dismal in the past few years. We need to look at our programs. We've got some big gaps. Without these structured discussions, it's unlikely that Anders would have been able to receive such a direct response from Chelsea. This problem of falling behind and not attracting talent had likely been lingering long before the survey took place, but what allowed Anders to unpack it was using the discussion guide as a diagnostic tool that named the issue and provided some language around it. All Anders really had to do was have a few conversations to get the ball rolling. We would encourage you to use this resource and have discussions with your team or colleagues. And back to Anders, after further consideration and lots and lots of planning, the department decided to launch a new master's program for the 2016 to 2017 school year. But before the program gets off the ground, there's another employee engagement survey in 2015. As you might imagine, Anders was nervous because although he and his colleagues were entrenched in planning the launch of the new master's program, not much structural change had happened yet. So with the action Honors Department is taking now, launching that new master's program, we wanna know what your prediction is for the results of the two items of frustration in the 2015 survey. So we're gonna have two polls for you to answer. The first item is, my department has a strategy and goals that address our most important challenges and opportunities. Do you think that item will increase in favorability, decrease in favorability, or C, stay the same. All right, so the poll is now closed and let's go ahead and see the results. They should pop up in just a few seconds here. But the majority of people were saying that they think it would increase in favorability and a lot of people said stay the same. So we're gonna go to our second item, which is another poll. So we've already been seeing that Anders has been having more regular one-on-one -on -one meeting, meetings with faculty and staff about their development. So we wanna know what your prediction is for the 2015 results for the item. My department offers effective mentoring and coaching to support my development. But what do you think? Will the item A, increase in favorability, B, decrease in favorability, or C, stay the same? So keep in mind that this is actual, actually a real scenario that did occur. So the, the data that we're presenting to you is, is true, is factual. So again, a lot of you thought favorability was increased and some of you thought stayed the same. Not a, not a lot of people thought a decrease in that favorability. So with all the work that Honors has been doing, let's go ahead and see what actually happened on the 2015 survey. So just as he suspected, the results were very comparable to the 2014 results. The feel proud item, which we didn't ask you to do a poll about, but that actually went up three percentage points. The coaching and mentoring item went up 10 percentage points, so a lot of people predicted that. But not only did the strategy and goals item 
not improve, it actually, its favorability went down 10 percentage points. So why were the results stagnant? Was this new master's program plan ineffective? Perhaps there was just not enough time. Well, once Anders looked more closely at the strategy and goals survey item, he realized that the reason for the drop was actually due to an increase in a neutral response, which meant that more people felt uncertain or undecided about that item than they did in 2014. So the reason for the lower levels of engagement were the result of more uncertainty rather than an increase in frustration or unfavorability. So although Anders was disappointed in not seeing any measurable progress, he understood that since the master's program hadn't launched yet, that's probably why he wasn't seeing that progress. Again, he was reluctant to share the results with the department because things felt like they were still in flux and he still felt a little embarrassed about not having made much progress. But again, he realized that asking for participation in a survey and not following up by sharing those results would only cause additional frustration. So he made a point to continue discussing these results in his one-on-one -on -one development meetings. Let's now fast forward to the fall of 2017, where the latest engagement survey results indicated a 40% increase. Yes, that's 40 percentage points in favorability for the strategy and goals item. Woohoo! This was exciting for the department and wonderful to receive validation that their calls to action on the survey resulted in changes that improved their engagement and commitment to the department. In other good news, the item, my department offers effective mentoring and coaching to support my development, continued to gain traction. Focusing on staff and faculty development in one-on-one -on -one meetings was really paying off. Even though the strategy and goals item improved so much, the overall results were still somewhat lower. When Anders dug into the data, he realized that there was another item that declined rapidly since the last two surveys. As it turned out, this new addition of a master's program created some disruption to the operating norms in the department. The engagement survey item, there is an equitable distribution of workload within my department experienced a 35 percentage point decrease in favorability on the 2017 survey. Bummer. This time when Anders held a department-wide engagement discussion, it became clear that the new master's program had added extra workload to some members of the department. Unfortunately, the growing pains associated with the disruption were stealing the thunder of the success of the new master's program. Well, should honors just throw in the towel? Was the master's program a bust? Not necessarily. He's actually been here before. Back in 2015, he saw a similar dip in the strategy and goals item due to that uncertainty about the direction the department was headed, but saw it increased substantially in 2017. So it's clearly making a positive impact. Taking action on engagement requires courageous, resilient, and self-reflective leadership, and it can be tough. Anders is running into a dip in engagement, but instead of thinking he's doing something wrong, he should just view it as a growing pain. A dip is common in any change, and what's more important is remembering the big picture and to celebrate strengths. None of us will ever receive 100% scores on everything. While it might feel like you're playing whack-a-mole, 
these data points highlight issues that we need to focus on for that point in time. You can also think of engagement work like your own professional development. None of us will be perfect at everything, so we must be able to flex and adapt with the intention of always mitigating the biggest risk. So what should Anders do now with this new information about workload distribution and its unfavorability? Chelsea is actually gonna walk us through an exercise that many groups across the university have used to address this very issue. Thanks, Amanda. So now we know that there is an equitable distribution of workload in my department is an area that Anders wants and needs to focus on in the upcoming year, but he didn't know where to start. The action library in the employee engagement module of the supervisory development course is just that, a library of ideas of ways to improve employee engagement. Let's take a quick look at how to get there. From the supervising.umn.edu website, navigate to module five, employee engagement, EE cycle, action. Scroll down the page to the section, apply, review and use the action library. The action library is organized by the 10 engagement drivers or conditions that help improve employee engagement. Since Anders has his report, he can tell from the item, there is an equitable distribution of workload in my department, falls under the work structure and process engagement driver. If you are unsure how a specific survey item maps to a particular driver, take a look at the employee engagement survey items handout that will help you make that crosswalk. So let's expand the work structure and process driver now. Under that particular driver, one of the suggested action steps is to have a discussion about how to more effectively and efficiently distribute the workload amongst the team. Consider if there are any roles or responsibilities that could be adjusted to improve workflow. See the quick guide to clarifying roles and responsibilities for more information. Let's take a closer look. The guide contains a roles and responsibilities exercise that is designed to help teams gain a deeper understanding of the work that each person is doing and also understand points of challenge and frustration. Because of the newly identified workload distribution issue, Anders concluded that he needed to thoughtfully restructure roles and responsibilities in the department in order to accommodate the workload associated with the new master's program. To do this, he first needed insight into how the work was getting done. Anders held a discussion that involved a brainstorming session between key faculty and staff regarding workflow and operating procedures. Since adding a new master's program was a major change, but the dust had settled a little bit, Anders was in an ideal situation to conduct this exercise. If he had tried to do this exercise before the master's program was in place, any role insights and adjustments may have quickly become irrelevant. This exercise involved providing each person on the team with a piece of flip chart paper posted on a wall and their name on it in a black marker. Everyone spent two to three minutes at each flip chart, excluding their own, and wrote down the primary job responsibilities of each of their peers. Each person then returned to their own flip chart paper with a different colored marker, red works really well, to edit. Each person reported out the primary responsibilities, what flip chart edits they needed to make, and highlighted the part of their role that is currently the most challenging. After this exercise, Anders made adjustments and clarifications to some roles and job assignments to improve the flow of work. The exercise allowed faculty and staff to be brought along in the decision-making process and feel heard. 
it is also helpful to do this exercise with a team that already gets along fairly well, as sometimes misunderstandings about the work people do can cause some hurt feelings. However, when colleagues already have good rapport, this doesn't tend to be an issue. What might the roles and responsibilities exercise look like for you? Remember that this resource and many others on the supervisory development course site can support your engagement work. We will revisit some of the resources later in the webinar, but right now I'll turn it to Brandon to hear what could have happened if our scenario took a different turn. So just to play devil's advocate here, what would have happened if Anders hadn't taken action on his engagement feedback? Well, what usually happens when sources of frustration are ignored is that there is a slow but steady decline in the work environment over time. As time goes by, issues get a little worse and frustration grows. If Anders hadn't taken action, the results of the second survey in 2015 would probably have looked similar to how they looked when he took action, although maybe a little more negative. The real difference would have shown up in feedback on the 2017 survey, because they wouldn't have addressed the bigger issue of the need for a new master's program. By 2017, the faculty and staff results would likely continue to show a slow, steady decline. This would probably lead some talented but frustrated people to leave or start looking for other opportunities. The department would not have addressed an important strategic priority. So in the long run, they might go from being a top-ranked department to a mediocre department. Supervisors often wonder how they can find time to do engagement on top of the day-to-day -day work. This is a real problem, and the solution gets at one of the biggest misconceptions about employee engagement, that it's about doing fun, feel-good activities and is separate from important priorities and day-to-day -day work. Think about it this way. Spending time and energy doing things to improve engagement is a cost. So when you are thinking about a particular action, consider what are the benefits of taking that action? Will it improve productivity? Will it help you retain talented people? Will it remove a source of frustration? The benefits should be greater than the cost or it's not worth it. For example, if you have 10 people meeting for an hour each week for several weeks to plan a group activity, that's a lot of time and money. Will the benefits be worth it? Many times, uh, the actions, the easy actions are just kind of fluffy team building activities. They might be fun for an hour or two, but they won't have a lasting impact on your team or department success. There's nothing wrong with team building at feel good activities, but those aren't going to improve engagement and productivity. And they take time to plan and organize on top of an already busy to do list. So if you find yourself planning feel good activities that aren't tied to your goals and priorities, consider. Will this really address the sources of frustration in your team and department? Will this help us be more productive and retain talented people? If not, back up to the discussion phase and talk about the issues that really need to be addressed. If instead of having discussions about real issues facing the department, Anders held some feel-good team-building exercises, he would not have addressed the root cause of the issues. With time, engagement in his department would decline People would see the ongoing lack of strategy, mentoring, and coaching, and the department would have trouble retaining talented people. Okay, with that, I'll turn it over to Amanda, who's gonna summarize the key takeaways from today. All right, thinking back about Anders and the scenario, we observed that he shared the data with his faculty and staff, he requested feedback on it, and discussed the results with his teams and colleagues as well. 
he was careful to take action on one to two items instead of tackling too many things at once. He also stayed the course and he demonstrated that resilience even when taking action created more growing pains for the department. And this is a true story that happened here at the University of Minnesota, so it can be done. Employee engagement work can be overwhelming, but there are a lot of resources available to help you. So if you find yourself wondering, what am I gonna do next? Whether it's you've gotten the survey results and need help interpreting them, need help making sense of your data, or need more ideas to guide your action planning, we in Leadership and Talent Development have your back. You can start with going to supervising.umn.edu, where you can find many of the resources that we've discussed in the, the webinar, and those are located in Module 5. If you want to dig deeper into engagement report data specifically, ee.ltd.umn.edu is available to support you in that work. And we also want to mention that if you are a supervisor who hasn't already downloaded your engagement report, provided you have one, they will not be accessible in the online data portal as of December of this year. However, the action library will not go away. Next, we're going to do our final Q&A. So there's a question here about um, after you review the resources on the action library, if you want any extra help or support or consultation, um, you know, coaching and other kinds of things, what's available? Uh, Chelsea, do you want to speak to that? Sure. You can always reach out to an employee engagement consultant at ee.ltd or ee ee2 at umn.edu. I apologize. Um, where we're happy to address any personal questions you may have. Um, and you're also welcome to look at the supervisory course website for additional resources that might address um, nuanced challenges that you might be facing. There's another question here, how are engagement results reviewed at higher administrative levels? And um, the way that the results roll out, uh, leaders at every level all the way uh, to the president um, do see the results relevant for their kind of their scope of control, essentially. Um, so leaders at all levels do see the results. Um, and the idea is that there is discussion and action happening at all levels uh, simultaneously. Um, now, you know, at the university, because we're very decentralized and particularly in the colleges and academic units, it's really important that action is um, taken at the department level. Um, in addition to looking at college level or even campus or system wide issues. So the idea with this is really to look at all levels uh, at the same time and all leaders do see all of those results. Another question here that's about um, looking at employee engagement for uh, units and teams that weren't large enough to receive a report in the last survey cycle. And we really do encourage you to follow the our guides for gathering input. You don't need a survey to do that. We have several discussion guides that can help you have some of those structured conversations uh, similar to what Anders had um, in response to the survey. Uh, however, you don't need actual data to do that. So. We encourage you to continue engaging in conversation um, with your teams to, to see how things are going and to see what could be done to eliminate frustrations and, and make the work more engaging. Yeah, I'm just seeing quite a few questions about if I don't have a survey, how do I proceed? So just to piggyback on what Chelsea was saying, that's why we have the action library. That's why we have the discussion guides. And even 
for those of you who are supervisors, which should be a majority of you, we have a discussion guide for self-reflection. So even taking a look at that and thinking inwardly about some things that you might want to work on or might want to find out, that would be a, a good resource as well. There's a question here um, about, oh, it just shot up my, the, it, it vanished from my, my uh, chat uh, thing here, but a question was about a new uh, department head or, uh, you know, as part of onboarding, do they get to see the engagement results for their department? And um, there isn't a, look, we don't drive a process from our team about that, but when we, um, when we are aware of a new leader uh, starting at the university, we do always offer to essentially brief them on the results for their department. And so if you have you know, a new leader that's gonna be starting, um, if you have the survey results for their area and you feel comfortable um, sharing that with them and talking uh, about that with them, that's completely fine. If you would like help with that, our team uh, would be happy to do that as well. So you can reach out to us uh, to do that. I saw a question about undergraduate workers, so student workers. I'd say look to those discussion guides to drum up some conversation about certain things in your unit that you want to see changed or get some feedback on. So here's a, a, a question about, and we get this kind of question a lot. Um, basically, what if you have a team or a department of sort of long-term employees and they're not necessarily looking for a lot of sort of growth and development um, and they're pretty comfortable in their role, you know, how do you essentially do employee engagement uh, with that sort of a team? And it's just as relevant. Um, you know, I think that in that group, you would still, you know, talk about what, what was the feedback from the survey and have a discussion about what are some of the um, priorities, what would be helpful to address as a team or department, and then taking some action. And, you know, if this is a team that's doing well, and they're meeting their goals and everybody's performing well, but there's just not a lot of energy behind wanting to get to the next level or grow and develop, um, then those actions might be more about sustaining the engagement that you have and how you can, um, you know, give people opportunities uh, as it comes up and having those conversations on a regular basis about um, what people do want to learn, how they do want to develop. You know, one of the Reality is, is that there are very few jobs or roles at the university that aren't changing. Um, and so there's always going to be some new information, some new process, some new knowledge or tools that people have to use. And so you can focus engagement on making sure that people are getting, um, you know, the support that they need for those kinds of things. So in that case, the action might not be big action and it might not involve a lot of training and development kinds of things, but you would still want to focus on that to sustain engagement over time. There's a question here about the end size for reports. So it, it's required that if you're a supervisor, you need at least five direct reports to respond to the survey before you receive a survey report. And the reason for that is really to protect the confidentiality um, of all those participating in the survey. And um, another reason that, that that's there is because we, we don't want you to be kind of trying to identify who said what or who responded in what ways to the survey and really be looking at the themes that are coming up over and over again, of kind of pain points, points of frustration, things that you could address that would really increase the engagement of your entire team. Here's a question uh, about 
uh, having a lot of frustration due to a lack of salary increases and how do you overcome that? And that's really easy. You just give people more money and then they're happy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that is a really common question. And, and, you know, honestly, it is a big source of frustration for everybody, um, you know, leaders who want to be able to, you know, maybe give more money to people who are performing well, et cetera. And, you know, the truth of it, though, is that I, I would say two points to keep in mind. One is that um, looking at kind of what is the total, you know, sort of toolkit that you have for rewarding and recognizing and sort of compensating people for the work that they do. Uh, salary is a part of it, obviously, but there are lots of other things. And a lot of people are very engaged and motivated by getting um, things like, you know, job assignments that they're particularly passionate about or where they'll learn something that they want to learn. Um, getting to, um, you know, getting having men, a good mentor who helps them grow and develop in their career. Um, so that's one piece of it is looking at are, other than salary increases, are there other things that you can do to recognize and reward people? And there actually are a lot of tools, but we often don't think of those. We immediately go to the financial piece. The other piece of it is that, you know, really having a, you know, what you might call a compensation strategy um, or in other words, um, being able to talk about, you know, why people get paid the amount that they get paid um, and why, you know, why an increase is appropriate or not appropriate or possible or not possible. Um, and being able to talk about why uh, that's really the key to kind of pay decisions and engagement. Um, you know, and, and the reality is that there probably, you know, isn't going to be a time in the near future where there's going to be a lot of extra money around. And so this is something that supervisors across the system the more that you can think about what is your compensation strategy and how can you talk about that to your direct reports and to your teams, that's going to be your best strategy for engaging them around that issue. There's a question here about sharing survey reports um, and if it's best to best practice to share the report in its entirety or if it's best practice to share sort of highlights and plans for action. And we really encourage as much transparency as is possible. Um, People spent time participating in the survey, and so uh, to the extent that you're able and it's relevant, uh, I would encourage you to, to share the report in its entirety. So there's a question about staff turnover over the last several years. Is there still value in reviewing the data and taking action on it? And I'm looking to Brandon and Chelsea for their thoughts on that. Sure. So anytime there's a, a big change since the last survey administration, it's it's going to influence the results on the, the next survey administration. And so um, the survey data is still a useful starting point, uh, but obviously under in those circumstances, there's going to be more required in the discussion phase to talk about um, sort of acknowledge the changes that have taken place and discuss how that impacts um, how people are currently feeling about the items that were um, either the most common sources of frustration on the survey or um, were even some of the biggest strengths, if those changes have impacted those strengths in any way. There was also a question about new employees who may not buy in so much to the employee engagement. And I would encourage that individual to, again, use that discussion guide and have some conversation about that. What how are people viewing employee engagement and what it is and what it could be for your area? So again, the general theme here is having conversation, having discussion. It's part of that input discussion and action cycle that we featured. 
And we just wanna thank you so much for your time today and your participation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore the employee engagement resources on the supervising.umn.edu site. There, you'll find videos, guides, and more to help you gather input, foster discussions, and take action on engagement. The Supervisory Development Course Podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions or would like to reach out, please email us at ltd.umn.edu. At